Good morning, and open your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 19, and please stand with me to read God's Word. I'm going to read it first, as we always do. I want to hear from God first. Read it. I'm going to read 21 through 41, and it's about taking the high road in heated times. Taking the high road in heated times. And you're going to see today that if you want to take the high road in heated times, you've got to guard your heart. And we're going to see how Paul did that, how that happened for Paul, and how it can happen for you. So first, let's read it. This is God's Word, Acts 19, beginning at verse 21. Now after these things, Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I've been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she might even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go into the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple keeper of the great Artemis, and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky. Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For You have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen will have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Lord, thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence with us. And we pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes, that we would see wonderful things in it today. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. I always love getting up here and having the privilege of opening God's Word, and I love it because God's been working in my heart as I've been studying this week. 
But the cool thing is that he is going to do something in your hearts that I have no idea what he's going to do. It's not like I planned it out and said, okay, so I'm going to say this and this, and then they'll do this and that. Uh, in a big picture, uh, we're going to look at the main point, and we're going to look at some things. But the Holy Spirit is going to use the word to change your heart. And isn't that awesome that when we come to the word, that's what God does? And we're talking about taking the high road in heated times and how you need to guard your heart. And it's so hard to do, is it not? Today, we're going to see what happened with Paul, and we just read it, and, and then how it can happen for us. If you're a believer, we walk a very fine line in this world. We're in the world, but not of the world. And isn't it tough to, to actually pull that off and, and not blow things up? Uh, we're, we're called to follow Christ and communicate the truth of the gospel. This is what we're called to do as believers. We're not called to condemn people for their sins. We're not called to condone people's sins. And we're not called to cave in to the temptation to sin. We're called to, to live in light of the truth and live to please God and do his will. But I think all of us would admit that we do this very imperfectly and we often fall short of God's glorious ideal. And that we think things and we say things and we do things that are not pleasing to God. And we're navigating um, very tricky terrain here in life. We really are. We're, we're needing to be gracious in our conduct. We're called to that. Even if, if we're grieved in our hearts over what we see in the world. And even if we're grieved in our hearts of what we see in our hearts. Which first and foremost is, is what we need to be worried about. Because God looks at our hearts. And we need to seek to live with a clear conscience before God and man. And we need to remain patient in persecution. And Paul did this. He took the high road in heated times. And we are living in some really heated times, aren't we? I mean, how about our political climate? We have such a contentious election cycle going on. We have ongoing issues in the world that we know about. And it really stirs us up, doesn't it? It really fires us up. And we want to say and do all sorts of things. Closer to home, you've got your relationships that can get really heated at times. Husband and wife relationship, parent and child relationship, brothers and sisters, siblings, and so on, and it is tough. There are other aspects of life, but basically the internal stuff, the external stuff, we are just, you know, slugging it out with all these issues, uh, issues of the mind, issues of the marketplace, issues when you're on mission for Christ. You're like, I want to serve Jesus in everything I do, and what you notice is day after day after day, you've got a barrage of things coming your way, both from inside your own heart and out there. 2 Peter 2.8 tells us that Lot felt his righteous soul being tormented day after day after day as godliness, basically ungodliness, basically paraded in front of his eyes. There was an ungodly culture that he was living in, and it was being paraded in front of him, and he felt his righteous soul being tormented. You might feel like that too. You might feel that your soul is being tormented, but no matter what, you have got to take the high road. I've got a friend who, who likes to say that, like, hey, we got to take the high road on this issue. I was just talking to him the other day, and, and he doesn't go to grace. He's another buddy of mine that's in ministry, and he said, now, on this issue, we got to take the high road, and I'm like, little do you know, I'm preaching on that on Sunday, you know? Uh, taking the high road, you take the low road, and it's the road that's going to lead you where you don't want to go, and maybe the road that you go on too often. 
Taking the high road is saying, okay, what does God want? What does he say? What does his word say? What am I to do in light of what he says? What's the most pleasing thing to God in this situation? And especially in this heated time, because I guarantee you, there, very soon, very, very soon, there will be a test, and you're going to be in a heated time, and you're going to need to choose. What am I going to think? What am I going to say? What am I going to do? It's life. So here we have Paul, who is being swept into an idolatrous riot in Ephesus. Okay, that's what I was just reading about. And it's pretty much a straight narrative. It's, 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 it's not a real complicated narrative. It just straight through narrates what exactly happened. And in this, we can see something about how we can take the high road, just like Paul did. And we're going to see that as we go along. But let's just first look at what actually happened. Let's just roll through the passage and see what, what we see. We'll start at verse 21. We see these words, after these events. You're like, what events? Well, the events of chapter 19, verses 8 through 20. When you're going through the word and you're studying the word, you want to make sure you stick in the context. So the immediate context is what is being referred to here after these events. And we looked at this last week. The power of the word of God is on display. And we saw the effects of the word of God, what God brings about as he uses his word. It, it divides people into two distinct groups, believers and unbelievers. And it unites believers, it unites the church, and it exposes sin, and, and it purifies hearts. And we saw people, uh, believers, confessing their sins and literally burning 50,000 days wages of magic books that they had held on to. So we have seen that, and, and now in, in pretty sharp contrast, we're going to see Paul, who doesn't get to preach. You know, he's been preaching the gospel. He's been preaching up a storm. Now, I, I, did you notice as I was reading that, Paul didn't get to say anything? You know he was just itching to preach. You know he wanted to get into that theater and, and tell them the gospel. He didn't get to do it. He gets to stand there waiting on God. Now, verse 21 tells us that he resolved in his spirit. He resolved in the spirit, literally. He was led by the spirit of God. It wasn't just that he came up and said, I'm going to go do this and do that all on my own. But the Spirit of God is, is instigating him, inspiring him to go somewhere. And he resolves in the Spirit, led by the Spirit of God, to go through Macedonia and Achaia. And then on to Jerusalem. And then he says, I must also see Rome. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Acts, that should really you know, open things up and go, hold on. I know now what's going to happen. From here on out in this book, it, we're, we're just angling towards Rome. He's going to get to Rome. God, God's told him he's going to go to Rome. And so he wants to go to Rome. But before he gets there, he wants to go to Jerusalem. He wants to go back to Jerusalem. And based by his, on his letters, we know that he had initiated a collection for needy Christians, for relieving needy Christians there. And so he's going to be bringing gifts from other churches for the relief of those in need. So he wants to go to Macedonia and Achaia. Roman provinces in Greece where Paul had planted churches. Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Corinth. And these churches had participated in the famine relief offering. So he is now going to be collecting all these things and, and bringing these things. And, and we know by the end of the book of Acts, Paul gets to Rome. We, we know that. 
But even now, what you see here in, in chapter 19, we're not there yet. But Paul is, is desiring strongly to go to the capital city. And what is he going to do there? He wants to serve up the gospel. He wants to, to, uh, to preach the gospel of the grace of God in Christ. So this is on his mind, and he sends two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to, on to Macedonia. He stays in Ephesus. So this is kind of the setting now, and so verse 23 tells us, around that time. And I love how Luke talks. He's, like a, he's a historian here, but he's basically going, around about that time, here's what happens. There arises a huge disturbance about the way. About Jesus, about his disciples, his followers, his, the church of Christ. And we know this. The word of God had been growing and prevailing mightily. It was dominating the city of Ephesus. And now what we're going to see is the, the city of Ephesus pushing back. All those who, who don't want the gospel, they're going to be pushing back. So what we've seen here is that some people have repented. Now some people are going to be rioting. They're going to be rioting instead of repenting. So the main character here in verse 24 that, that really instigates all of this riot is the silversmith named Demetrius. And he made little uh, silver shrines of Artemis, the local you know, famous false god, and he's making a lot of money on this. So he gathers all the other craftsmen and the workmen even from similar trades, and he says this to them, verse 25. Basically he says this, look, we're making a lot of money at our business. We're making a lot of money on what we're doing, but, verse 26 tells us, he's telling them, in Ephesus and really in all of Asia, there's a guy named Paul that's really stirring things up and he's messing with our business. You know, we're, they're probably like stock loading a warehouse full of these shrines of Artemis because they're just not selling as like hotcakes anymore. We're making lots of money making these idols, and Paul, though, has persuaded and turned a lot of people away from our deal. In fact, what he's saying, and they're not lying about him, this is true, he's saying that gods made with hands are not gods. They're admitting they're making their own gods. <laughs> they're making their own gods, and they're like, he's like, look, we, we can't let this keep happening. It's all about deception here. They love their gods. They hated the gospel. Sounds like they, they hadn't heard of the first commandment, Exodus 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. Sounds like they hadn't gone into the second commandment either, Exodus 20, verse 4, you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water. The Spirit of God spoke through Isaiah the prophet, chapter 44, verses 9 through 11, and says this, all who fashion idols are nothing. So Demetrius, all his crew of, of craftsmen, they're nothing. And, and the things that they delight in do not profit. Well, they profit them monetarily. They don't profit them spiritually. That's to their ruin. And then Isaiah goes on. Who fashions a god or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? All his companions are going to be put to shame. The craftsmen are only human. And then, and then Isaiah says, let them get together, let them assemble, just like Demetrius and his co-workers are doing, and they shall be terrified and put to shame together. And what God is saying is, don't be crafting idols. Don't be crafting idols. And, and we know in our own lives, you know, we know that our hearts are idol factories. We just manufacture them all the time, and our hearts are very easily turned away to 
to things that are false and things that are ruinous and we shouldn't be crafting idols. And Demetrius and his group are, are very involved in this process. In verse 27, Demetrius says, look, there's danger here. We're going to go out of business, basically. If this keeps happening, we're going to go out of business. Our trade may come into disrepute. You know, we're going to have a whole warehouse full of these idols that we can't use. We're going to have to melt them down and do something else with them. Because it really is about the money here, isn't it? It really is about the money. The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Well, it's about the money here because Jesus is hitting pagan pocketbooks and they're not loving it, they're hating it. But then he goes on. It's not just about the money. It's about the money, but it's not just about the money. It's also about the idolatry because he says, and by the way, you know, add on, our, our business is getting hit, but also the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be considered nothing. And she may be deposed, you know, put, set, set aside from her magnificence. And then he says this, all the world worships her. You know, make a general statement like that, and that sounds like a pretty sweeping blanket statement. It was pretty true. It was pretty true. Most of the world worshipped her. The, the whole Mediterranean world was, was in love with Artemis of Ephesus, known to the Romans as Diana. Of the, of, of the Ephesians, it, she was the primary false deity, false god, the primary deity of this huge metropolis of, of Ephesus, as well as the whole Mediterranean world. And she was worshipped as the great mother goddess. They called her the mother goddess. They falsely believed that she possessed fertility and reproductive power that caused the earth to blossom into life. They, they believed that she caused the stars to align. In fact, there, there were um, uh, statues found of, of Artemis, Diana, that literally had all the signs of the, the zodiac around her neck. This was pure evil. And, and she was very closely associated with the, with the magical practices that were going on in Ephesus. Now, if you would remember, what we looked at last week was that all these Christians had said, look, we got to get rid of our books of magic, our papyrus scrolls of magic, and they counted up, they burned them, they counted it up, and it was 50,000 days wages. That's 136 years for one person to work to get all that money. It was very pervasive. It was very uh, interwoven into the fabric of life, and, and those magical books that were burned, many of them were ascribing power to Artemis. They were they were saying that she has power over the underworld. She has power over demons. There was even magic necklaces, amulets discovered with the image of, of the Ephesian Artemis. People would wear these and think that they would protect her, protect them. This was a very idolatrous situation. If you think, by the way, that, wow, we're living in really idolatrous times, well, our, the times in which we live are just getting closer to what it was like in the first century. Actually, not there yet, almost there yet, but pretty close. Her worshipers believed that they were devoted to an awesome, unrivaled deity who could help them in daily life and protect them from demons and break the bonds of fate. That's what they believed, and they were very uh, trapped by it. Demetrius is talking about her temple. And by the way, that was the center of of Ephesus, uh, the, the temple of Artemis, Diana of the Ephesians, was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And again, just woven into the, into the fabric of daily life, it was the bank 
of the city. It was all where all the financial dealings were done. Huge amounts of money came and went and flowed through that place. One month of the year was named after Artemis. There was an annual festival held in her honor. And again, her worshipers thought that she was supreme above all gods and goddesses. They called her first among thrones. They called her savior. They called her Lord. They called her queen of the world. They called her the heavenly goddess. It's about gross idolatry. I think I know why the Spirit of God had John write in 1 John, the very last phrase of 1 John, written to congregations scattered throughout Asia Minor, scattered throughout this area, when he says, little children, keep yourselves from idols because they're going to ruin you. So Demetrius and all his buddies are really stirring things up. Now they're saying Paul's the one that stirred everything up. What they really are saying is that Jesus has messed up our lives. And so verse 28 tells us they are enraged. So they're getting into, into a fury and they cry out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Literally, we worship Diana. That's what they're saying. Now let me pause for a moment and say I, you probably can, can think of some United States cultural tie-ins where you go, you know, we're living in an idolatrous world and these are the kind of things that are happening. And I know it's very easy to go, well, look what's going on out there and, and not realize what's going on in your own heart. But we also are not to, uh, you know, close our eyes to what's going on in the world. We are to speak through gospel truth into it. But very, very uh, idolatrous things are going on in America. Sexual perversion is being sold as good and right and normal. We've heard a lot about Charlotte, North Carolina recently. And you know more about like the police things and the riot things and all that. But you might not know about this one. The city of Charlotte, North Carolina said, we are not going to let men use women's restrooms and not let women use men's restrooms. We're not going to do the transgender bathroom thing. And as a result of them standing up for a moral choice, they are now being reamed in the public square. All the, the sports groups, in fact, the latest was the NAIA, the National Association of Intercollegiate Athletics, says we are not going to hold our cross-country nationals, which my family was actually going to to watch two of our kids, we're not going to hold it in Charlotte because they are despicable. And there are people saying, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed to live in Charlotte because they won't let men use women's restrooms and vice versa. Because in this culture in which we live, you stand for what is right and true and you will be reamed in the public square. And Isaiah rightly said, Isaiah 5.20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And it's exactly what is happening, and it's exactly what was happening back in Ephesus. The same thing was going on there. This is not a new thing that we're encountering. Demetrius and his group were, were basically saying that there is no one true God, not, not one named Jesus. And Psalm 14:1 tells us, the fool says in his heart there is no God. And we, we say, well, if you call someone a fool, you must be saying that they're not intelligent or they're not, you know, they're not smart at all. And that's not the word. The Hebrew word for fool indicates a moral fool. You could be the smartest person in the universe. You could have the highest IQ that you could have and still be a fool if you deny God. And, and you open up a Bible, and I'm telling you, there is no way you can miss that the Bible reveals Jesus Christ to us. 
The Bible reveals who God is. You can't get to God through creation except by acknowledging who he is. You can't find out about Jesus except by the written word of God. By creation, you'll say, yeah, God exists. I see it. But you can only get into the written word of God and say, oh, uh, Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. He died on the cross for my sins in my place. He shed his blood for me. That's in the written word of God. Which is, by the way, what a lot of groups are jettisoning. A lot of churches are saying, well, we don't really, you know, need all that. There's nowhere else to go except on the low road. If you want to take the high road, you got to stick to the word, right? And by the way, Demetrius and all his crowd, they're saying, you know, we don't believe the gospel. We don't believe in Jesus. And you could say, well, they're making, you know, an economic choice. No, they're making a moral choice. Every time someone rejects Christ, they might say, well, I'm making an intellectual argument or it's because of, you know, a business decision here, like they're saying. It's, it's always a moral issue when someone rejects Christ. It always. You need to grasp that. And this is what is going on in this city of Ephesus. The city is in confusion. It's just, they're just in upheaval. And verse 29 tells us they rush into the theater together. And that was the main place in town that you could gather. 15, 20,000 people probably. You could probably fit 25,000 people in that theater. And it's an open air theater. So whether you're in it or outside of it, you're hearing the ruckus, right? And they drag Gaius and Aristarchus in. These are guys from Macedonia. These are Paul's friends. And verse 30 tells us Paul wants to go in. Well, boy, did he. He wanted to go in. He wanted to go preach the gospel. That's what he wanted to do. But the the disciples wouldn't let him. Did you notice that in verse 30? They would not let him. They're like, no, you're not going in. We don't know if they, like, had to restrain him. You know, like if he had bruises on his arms because he's like, no, I'm going in. Or if he's like, yeah, you're right. My thought is that he was probably pretty excited about this. Verse 31, even some people from Asia that are friends of his are urging him, do not go in there. Do not go in there. This is the crazy crowd. They're going wild. They're in confusion. I mean, verse 32 tells us some didn't even know, most didn't even know why they were there. This is the mob mentality, right? Riots, confusion. They don't even know, hey, why are we here? I know there's a fight, but what's it about? (laughs) They don't know. And so the Jews, verse 33, because they're not believing in in Artemis of the Ephesians, and so they're like, hey, Alexander, say something. Get this thing under control. And, and he wants to speak to the crowd. So he's got like motioning, right, with his hand. And, and they recognize he's a Jew, verse 32 tells us. And for two hours straight, they, he can't say a word. They're shouting him down and they're crying out together. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Can you imagine how these, these uh, the believers that got rushed into it and Paul standing on the outside, how grieved they were in their hearts that for two hours straight, people were basically crying out that, that Jesus isn't who he says he is and we don't want God, but, but we want this false God. We want this God that we can actually make with our own hands. So now the town clerk gives it a shot. Verse 35, the town clerk, we don't even know the name of the town clerk, but they, he tries to help and he, he acts quiets the crowd down and, and, and says it this way. Look, look everybody. Everyone knows that you know, Ephesus is the temple keeper of Artemis, and everyone knows we're the keeper of the sacred stone that fell from, from the sky because local legend had it that Diana's statue had fallen out of the sky. That's a fable too. They made it. They fashioned it with their own hands. And he says, now look, verse 36, he says, um, 
you, no one can deny this. He's kind of like, you know, buttering them up. And he's like, no one can deny this. You need to be quiet and do nothing foolish. And he's about to tell them, because if you don't, you're going to lose a lot of Roman privileges that you have and you enjoy right now. He says in verse 37, these men are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. So what we know is they didn't say anything bad about Diana. They basically preached the gospel, and the people knew that there was a huge difference. I think there's a model for us there as we're out preaching the gospel. We don't have to shout everyone down. We don't have to tell them how bad everything they're doing is. You just show them the real deal. You don't need to call out the counterfeits. You need to show them the real truth, and they're going to know how different that is. Seems like that's what happened here. And so verse 38 tells them, look, the courts are open if you want to make a big old complaint, bring charges. Uh, if not, you know, we're in danger of being charged with rioting here today. And I'm like, I think that, that is a riot, you know. Um, he's telling them you can't justify what you're doing, and he sends them home. Verse 41, they go home. And what you notice is Paul doesn't do like an end around around his friends and go, wait, wait, before you leave, and he goes in the back door and goes, hey, I got to tell you something first. No, he just, he's just like, he's just not in there. And if you, if you look at this, at this point in Acts, we've got Paul being pretty much the main character we're following. And there's some other players in here, Demetrius and the craftsmen and Alexander and the town clerk that have much more prominent roles in this, in this narrative, but it's, it's about what's going on even with Paul here. So while he's outside of the, of the, of the uh, theater, he's hearing everything, and, and he's not doing what he wanted to do, but I believe he was taking the high road in a heated time. And it's what we need to do to guard our hearts. Let me give you some observations, some implications about this. What's the wisest path for you to take in trying times, in heated times? It, it's, it's what Paul did. Okay, I'm going to give you three things, and they're memorable, all right? The first is, listen up. Listen up. First, to God's word and wise friends. Remember, Paul's out preaching the gospel. The word of God is magnified in that area. The word of God is dominating everything. He's got the word of God in him. He's drenched in the word of God. And then his friends tell him, you're not going in to preach today. Hey, buddy, you're not doing that today. Now, Paul must have wanted to preach so badly, so badly, but he listens to wise counsel. He really wanted to go, but he had to be insisted upon. Verse 30, the disciples would not let him. Means he really wanted to. Most likely, they probably did have to hold him back. And verse 31, other friends urge him, don't go in there. This is a great example of godly friends keeping back someone from doing something that would be unwise or harmful or dangerous. So what you need to do is listen to friends who seek to keep you from doing something unwise. And then be willing to be that kind of friend in someone's life that would actually tell the truth and intervene when someone's about to do something unwise or unnecessary or ungodly or harmful. Now if Paul would have gone in there he would have preached the gospel. It would have been a great thing. But they're just saying, don't do it. Just don't do it. This is not the time. This is not the place. So he listened to them. He didn't go into the theater. He took wise counsel. He wanted to address the crowd. But his counselors told him not to, and he listened to them. He didn't say, hey, I'm Paul. I'm Paul the apostle. I outrank you. I'm going in. He didn't do it. He listened. Because, by the way, friends in Christ have the responsibility to tell the truth to each other no matter how inconvenient no matter how painful that truth is 
And you need to listen to other people's wise counsel. I think a lot of people are like, you're not going to tell me what to do. Well, if you're in the body of Christ, you've got brothers and sisters in Christ that need to be speaking into your life, or else you're going to go take the low road instead of the high road. And so however inconvenient or painful it is, you need to listen to other people's wise, godly, biblical counsel. First and foremost, you've got to listen to the word of God. And then godly friends that agree with the word. Take advice. Paul did. Proverbs 11, verse 14 says, Where there is no guidance, the people fall. But in abundance of counselors, there is victory. Victory. Don't lobby to get your own way. We do this a lot, don't we? We, we bounce from person to person until we get the person to say the thing we want, and then we're like, yeah, I'm going to do that. Because you had it in your mind all the, all the while. Proverbs 12.15 tells us the way of wisdom. The way of a fool is, is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 15.31 says, The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Paul was humble, and he listened up. So we need... Number two... He didn't just, again, listen and then do an end around to the other side of the theater and go on in there. He lightened up on his agenda. You've got to lighten up on, on your agenda. Go for God's will, not your agenda. Because you've got words and actions that need, thoughts, words, and actions that need to be considered. Choices that you're making. You need to seek the will of God and accept the will of God as good, acceptable, and perfect, as Romans 12 tells us. And we need to hold our tongues. We need to, you know, zip our lips when we want to say something that we know we shouldn't say. And even you've got a friend telling you, you shouldn't do that. Well, don't go find a friend that tells you you should. Listen to your good friend. Let God temper your tongue. You seldom regret what you do not say. I have applied Proverbs 17, 28 many times, and it hasn't failed me. Even a fool, when he remains silent, is considered wise. Even a fool when he remains silent, is considered wise. And Paul was a wise guy. He was wise. He had the, he had the Lord's wisdom, and he didn't do what he wanted to do. And, and there was no preaching that day. You're like, Paul's preaching up a storm everywhere. He didn't preach that day. Did not say a word. And what can this teach us about restraining our words? What can this teach us about not casting our pearls before swine? What can this teach us about our, our struggle not being against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and, and evil? What can this teach us about laying aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us if we would just lighten up on our agenda? And lastly, number three, look up. Look up. He looked to God. You notice that God is the one who is moving the heart of, of even the ungodly leader to quiet the crowd and rescue his people. Some of his people were in the theater and in danger. You gotta look up to God. You gotta look to Jesus. You gotta trust God to act. You gotta wait on God. Paul did. And God used an ungodly leader to quiet the crowd and rescue his people. Protected and preserved to preach another day. Because God is gonna orchestrate and act. Proverbs 16, 9 says, The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Just remember who's in control. Paul's role in this heated conflict was he listened to counsel, he remained silent, and he trusted God. Those are three things for us to remember and do. You know, listen up, lighten up, and, and look up. 
Listen up to God's word and wise friends, and then be a wise counselor. By the way, who is like that in your life that will tell you the truth? And who can you be that kind of friend to? That you're close enough to make a difference in their life. You gotta lighten up and go for God's will and not your agenda. And, and hold your tongue because you speak from what fills your heart. And like I said earlier, there will be a test soon. Oh, very, very soon on all of us. You've gotta consider your words and your actions. There will be a test. And, and the question will be, will you fly off the handle or will you take the high road? Will you... Will you do what Ephesians 4.29 says and not let any unwholesome, literally rotten word come out of your mouth? Only such a word is as good for edification according to the need of the moment that it would give grace to those who hear? Or will you just say what you want to say and let it roll? I think a lot of us say, well, it's just one instance in life. It's just one little, little moment in time. Well, what did Jesus say? Jesus said we are going to give an account for every idle word that we have spoken, and, and you know what that makes me want to do? Fall on my face before God and ask for forgiveness and be in repentance because I have said many, many idle words that didn't need to be said. When you come to that moment of test, it will be a conscious decision you make and your friends can't make the decision for you and, and you've got to decide now how you're gonna respond even if you don't know the specific situation. You know what life is like. So decide now how you're going to respond. And lastly, look up. Trust God to act. Pray. <laughs> depend on him. And I'm sure that your soul is disturbed by many, many things. It's, this is life. And frustration and anger are going to kindle up in your heart. Unkind words and thoughts are stirring up inside and you're planning ways to say them. It's not godly. Let God deal with your heart and the situations that, you, that you're going to face. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. He is working all things together for good. By the way, this is a lot like, these three things are a lot like James 1.19. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Be quick to listen to wise counsel. Be slow to speak your own words. And be slow to anger at God when things don't work out your way. That doesn't work God's righteousness. Look to him. I'm going to bring in the plane for a landing here. I just want to say this. There is only one way that we can take the high road. Only one reason we can do it. It's because Jesus took the high road. And he took that road to the cross. Here he is. God incarnate. 100% God, 100% man. And he came to earth and obeyed the will of the Father. He said only what, what I only do what the Father tells me. And then he prays, not my will, but yours be done. And he didn't open his mouth. Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, he didn't open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, like a sheep that's before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Think of him before Pilate. Didn't open his mouth. He was going to the cross. He was going to go pay our penalty in our place for our sin by shedding his blood. And he entrusted his soul to God. Isaiah 53.10, it was the will of God to crush him. It was the will of God to crush him so that God would be satisfied, that his wrath would be appeased, that there would be propitiation made, that mercy could be given because a payment for sin was made. That's why you can take the high road when you believe in the Lord Jesus and are saved. 
because Isaiah 53 tells us he's gonna see his offspring. He's gonna bring many sons and daughters to glory. Who will? The king of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of gods, the hope of the nations. Merciful savior who took, his, took our sin upon himself. He's our only hope. Okay, so are you ready to take the high road in heated times? You ready? All right, guard your heart. Lord, thank you. Thank you that, that you guard our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that you, you give us your truth. We have your word. Help us not to neglect it because then we will be in debt to it. We, we want to know it and, and do it. And Lord, I pray for our, 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 the faithful friends you bring our way, Lord, that we would not push them aside, but that we would listen to them. Thank you, Lord, for the gift you give us of good friends that will tell the truth. And Lord, most of all, we, we entrust our souls to you because you are above all. And we praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.